0: From the Badgers to Whitewater, from Concordia to Carroll, some of the best college football is played right here in the state of Wisconsin. Alongside the professor, Dan Underberg, and our producer, the Polish pipe bomb, Jeff Verlowski, I'm Don Wachulis. This is the College Football Show, and it starts right now. Hey, once again, welcome in. This is the season finale of the college football show right here on 105.7 FM. The fan as we'll be wrapping things up on the football side this evening. We're going to be moving to Sundays at noon starting December 2nd. We'll be on from 12 to 2. We'll transfer into the college basketball show. We'll still talk a little football as the bowl season gets underway and makes our way into that New Year's Day Final Four, but we'll be mainly focused on basketball as of December 2nd, noon to two right here on The Fan. Jeff Worlowski in studio with us. The professor is in route. He should be with us shortly. But Jeff, last week, Saturday, it was the Badgers who almost saved the season from a fan's perspective by coming back the way they did. Now, I looked at it this way, Jeff, the fact that we've heard Aaron Rodgers all week long after the debacle that was last week, Thursday in Seattle, constantly talking about that galvanizing moment. This team needs a galvanizing moment, whether it's on the field, in the locker room, a speech, whatever the case may be. I think for the Badgers, Starting with the catch from Danny Davis, Oh, yeah. that galvanizing moment took place last Saturday for this Badger team as they were down 13, obviously, in the fourth quarter, came all the way back, win it in triple overtime. Just the perseverance from this ball club to hang in there and do what they've done on the road, something that they've struggled to do in the last few weeks, this to me now could be the turning point, at least on a confidence level, because going into Purdue, and I'll say at least the first half of the Purdue game, I was was very afraid going into next week in the battle for Paul Bunyan's axe, even though it was at home against Minnesota, the way that team had been playing had more question marks than answers. But then after that Danny Davis catch, it just seemed like everything turned and it turned into what we really thought this entire season was going to be.
1: Yeah, I agree. Anybody that says, and there's a lot of people out there that believe that momentum doesn't play a part in sports, you have to be completely out of your mind. <laughs> that was just a perfect example. You get that one-handed, just beautiful grab and then the, everything swung Wisconsin's way. You know, it, but that said, I am still not all that confident going in to the Minnesota game. You know, it took, you had Jonathan Taylor, 321 yards on the ground. You had Jack Cohn, 206 yards in the air, two touchdowns, not a pick. And you still barely beat Purdue. Now... In fairness, though, Purdue has played
0: extremely well the last few weeks. They've been riding that momentum ever since the win against Ohio State. Now, they've lost a couple in there. I'm not saying they're on a complete winning streak, but their confidence level is at a much higher uh, plateau than what Wisconsin is going into that game at home with some of the wins that they've gotten this year and some of the close games that they've been in. But again, it was the mistakes early on, Jeff, that kept that defense on the field. And that defense... Has been put into situation after situation after situation. And it's the one aspect of this team going into this year that we knew was going to struggle just because they're young. Right. You got freshmen on each end playing cornerback. It's just a very, very young group that has learned and developed as the season has gone on. But again, the penalties and mistakes. And the fact that that offense in that first half seemed to work its way through three and out, three and out, three and out, constantly put that defense on the field and not always in the greatest of field positions. So yeah, I hear what you're saying about the fact that Taylor ran up all those yards. Cone played very respectable uh, on the road at Purdue. But that offense, until that Danny Davis drive, I'll call it the drive that that culminated in that Odell Beckham-like catch, it wasn't until that point that the offense really just started to gain as you just said momentum throw analytics out the window it it's about momentum sometimes in a game yeah you you can put up all the numbers you want the graphs the charts whatever you want to place in front of you to make your decisions but sometimes momentum dictates what's taking place on the field and that's exactly how the badgers then wrestled everything back in their favor and then lo and behold,
1: yeah, it took three overtimes, but they, they got the job done. They did. And, you know, but you could say what you want about confidence with Purdue. You know, I'll give you confidence and I'll take talent. And we play 10 times. I'm going <laughs> to win at least nine of them. That, yeah, that's truth. You match up the talent level on who's on the Badgers and who's on the Boilermakers and tell me that they're the same because they are not. But, but you know it's a very this whole season's been very unwisconsin like okay the last few years it's been great defense great offensive line play we're not seeing either one this year like you said the defense yeah we you know they're going to struggle cuz they're young uh lots of young you know freshmen and, and and everything like that playing and all that the offensive line has been bad and, you yeah, know, they have not. They have not played
0: up to the preseason hype. That's for sure.
1: Not played up to a uh, Sports Illustrated cover. Well, maybe they have. Well, <laughs> yeah, take, with the curse. When you take
0: the curse of Sports Illustrated, maybe that's exactly what's taking place, and we're finally coming to
1: realize it. It could be. You know, Barry's got to sit there, and the next time SI calls. <laughs> Uh, tell them I'm busy. Tell them the entire the entire athletic department is
0: <laughs> occupied and they are not allowed in the building whatsoever.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, that number is going to be permanently blocked. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's been you know, Yeah, it,
0: that has been taken off the old iPhone right there when it comes to Sports Illustrated. On the defensive side, TJ Edwards, Ryan Conley, 19 tackles, 3 for a loss, but the defensive player of the game has to be Andrew Van Ginkle. Andrew Van Ginkle on one play is able to chase the running back down for Purdue. I don't have his name in front of me. Knocks the ball out of his arms. It goes into the end zone. Badgers get the ball on the 20-yard line, and he was on his way to the end zone. Andrew Van Ginkle... Another time, guy is headed for the right corner, wrestles him out of bounds at the one, defense makes a stand, it leads to a field goal. So there's four points less than really what anybody thought Purdue was going to get at that point. And then I think, for me, the one that happened that I I can't say is the most significant but has gone the most unnoticed was with about, oh two two minutes to go, a minute 30 to go. I don't remember what the time was on the clock. And we were forced to punt. After stopping Purdue and the kid nailed a 40-plus yard punt, who was down there to make the the tackle? Andrew Van Ginkle. I mean, that play right there on special teams not allowing Purdue to make themselves get into the Badger half of the field, which then forced them, after a nice defensive stand, to punt and let this thing then go to overtime. Andrew Van Ginkel almost single-handedly assisted that defense in making sure that the Badgers were going to stay in contention throughout that contest.
1: Yeah, he it just seemed like he was all over the field. It, it seemed like there was like five of him on the field <laughs> it because it didn't matter, you know, when he was uh uh picking up his two sacks. So he was in the backfield you know, he was 10 yards downfield making plays. He was 25 yards downfield making plays. There had He had to have cloned himself, and there had to be six or seven of them out there.
0: It felt like that, and I'm sure Purdue feels the same way, thinking that every time we believe that we have him blocked, and especially the one when in the, I think it was the first quarter where he tracked the running back down for Purdue, comes from behind, knocks the ball out. You could see on the play that the angle that he took, and I don't know if it was necessarily the the angle that he took was wrong, but it didn't lend itself towards making the play on the sweep. So all he did was U-turn, and kept a full head of steam, not assuming anybody else at the linebacker core or the cornerback or the free safety was going to have the ability to come over and make the tackle. All he did. If you watch that replay is simply u turn with a full head of steam, make his way down the field. And then before you know it, boom, out comes the ball, touchback, Badger football,
1: maximum heart, maximum effort. You know, obviously those are two things you can't really coach and, uh, Like you said, he didn't sit there and depend on the guys behind him to make the plays. He took it in his own hands and went and made them himself. You know, it's the effort that we wish that we saw from the professional football team here in Wisconsin. And, uh, you know, just what a day. What a day for Van Ginkle.
0: It was. And, And you talked about heart and effort. Well, let's go back to the aforementioned Jonathan Taylor. Three touchdowns, 321 yards on the ground, probably... Of those three touchdowns, none more important than that final one in overtime where there were a couple of occasions on his way to the end zone where he could have, you would think, go down. Some running backs would have because there was contact and there was sufficient contact. Yeah. It wasn't like anybody was playing two-handed tag. Guys were hitting him in the thigh, the knees, and he found a way to maintain his balance and will himself in. And I know time and time again in all of the different postgame interviews that Taylor gave, he kept talking about the scene wanting to help the seniors make sure they go out on a good note, wanting to make sure the guys who paved the way that he took advantage of it and he starts paving the way himself. His heart, his effort, if he's not still in an ice bath as of Tuesday evening, boy, I'll tell you what, there there was a kid who deserves a couple of days off before that Minnesota game.
1: Yeah, yeah, 321 yards, uh, like you said, his body took a pounding, but, you know, same thing, just the heart, the drive, you know, unreal. Absolutely unreal. Another fantastic game for him to sit there and show tape to all the NFL teams. You know, if oh, there yes. was ever any doubt, watch this. And, you know, it takes three to four guys to get him down. And, you know, like you said on that play, there it was not soft contact. It wasn't patty cake. It You know, it was big boy hitting. Uh, Big 10 hitting. Now, if you're Purdue, uh,
0: I'm quite sure the defensive coordinator, the head coach, position coaches are looking at that tape and teaching their guys how to tackle Monday and Tuesday because the form necessarily wasn't textbook. Right. But it had nothing to do with the contact in and of itself that, let's face it, for some running backs, hit in that particular fashion, they would have gone down. Jonathan Taylor would have none of that. Uh, We're going to take our first break of the evening. Hey, I want to tell you, coming up tonight, around 9 o'clock, give or take a few minutes, we're going to be joined by the new head coach at Aurora University, a name that is extremely familiar. In this neck of the woods, he's a former Green Bay Packer, a former six-time Super Bowl participant. Don Beebe set to join us as he's assumed the coaching role now at aurora university down in illinois and we'll be talking with him as i noted a little bit after nine o'clock this evening time for us as i noted take a break this is the college football show right here on 1057 fm the fan What's has been? Welcome back in to the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan, 1250 AM, or as always on the Radio.com app. Don Wachilis alongside the Polish Pipe Bomb, Jeff Rolowski the Professor Dan Underberg is in route. Hopefully he'll be walking into the studio sometime soon here as we're talking... College football in the state of Wisconsin. A lot going on within the state, obviously. A huge win with the Badgers as we continue to talk about that this past week as they'll play for Paul Bunyan's Axe this Saturday at Camp Randall against Minnesota. Also, want to remind you, coming up at around 9 o'clock, give or take a few minutes, we hope to be joined by the new head coach at Aurora University in Illinois, a name in this particular part of... Uh, Packer Nation people should all recognize Don Beebe named the head coach at Aurora University going to be joining us as I said a little bit after nine to talk about his new position and the job that he's undertaking down at Aurora but in the interim let's continue to talk about that Badger game this past Saturday against Purdue and Jeff I guess I'm going to throw this one at you Jonathan Taylor 321 yards, and I guess because of the way the Badgers have played this year, he has really fallen out of the national spotlight, so to speak, with many of those national writers who vote for the Heisman with regards to his potential, uh, what do you want to say, of, of winning the trophy right. about being invited to New York and being a part of that whole situation. Do you think the game last Saturday against Purdue, the three hundred and twenty one yards, the three touchdowns in triple overtime has once again catapulted Jonathan Taylor back into the national spotlight as far as the Heisman Trophy goes.
1: It better have. Uh you know, <laughs> you sit there, roll up three twenty one on, you know, they're not this wasn't a game like uh like Alabama had against the Citadel, you know, this was against a good Boilermaker team. And uh, I was sitting there and I pulled up the uh, the four-letter network had an experts poll. And this is before the game against Purdue. And it's got 11 guys on, on this poll as the Heisman watch guys. Jonathan Taylor's ranked seventh out of 11. You know, you got two... Uh, uh, the quarterback out of Alabama, he's number one. You got four quarterbacks at the top. You've got a defensive lineman uh, from Alabama ranked ahead of Jonathan Taylor in this poll. You know, it's going to be interesting because I think he definitely at least cracks the top five yeah. after this week and and rolling up 321. But yeah, no, he's not getting the credit he deserves. He is a, just a complete difference maker. Anytime he touches the ball, he can break it from anywhere. If you're on the goal line just trying to get three three yards and give your offense some room, he could be gone. If you're on the one-yard line looking to punch it in, you can give it to him and expect him to punch it in.
0: I, I think – Purdue, the game against Purdue, highlighted every aspect of his game, whether it, as you just noted, the ability to get that one punishing yard, the ability to get those three punishing yards that you might need for a first down. It also showed that if you create a seam, he's going to pop through it like there's no tomorrow and get you 15 to 20 yards. Or if he's going to get you 15 and 20 yards, he also showed his breakaway speed by leaving some of those Boilermakers in the dust when he cracked that one off in the third to start the third quarter. Yep. It just – he has all of the tools. Now, we've talked about the fact that the one thing that Jonathan Taylor has had as far as a blemish goes is putting the football on the ground and whether or not Jonathan Taylor will look good, to exit after three years at the University of Wisconsin or he'll go all four, whatever the case may be. The one blemish in his resume is the fact that he puts the football on the ground. And yet... Over the last few weeks, that's even gotten better. It has. To an extent. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's been some key moments, but it seems as if Jonathan Taylor has put the ball on the ground when he's tried to do more than possibly what he's capable of doing in trying to get something going, trying to have that galvanizing moment two, three weeks ago when it just wasn't all being put together for whatever reason. And sometimes when you try to do too much, that's when the mistakes happen. And I get the feeling that that's what's happening with Jonathan Taylor periodically when he's trying to overdo what he normally is capable of doing. That's when the ball finds its way on the turf. And when you see a game like this past Saturday where he stays within his realm where it seemed as if the blocking got a little bit better, the execution got a little bit better, and the fact that you had somebody like Deal who wasn't able to make the trip due to injury, and it was just, he just seemed, I hate to use the word more at ease when you ran the ball for 321 yards, but it there was a comfort level with the amount of carries that he was getting last Saturday, and I think that went, far and away into why he was and the Badgers were successful,
1: again, down in Purdue. Yeah, 33 carries on the day. That just shows that he can be an absolute workhorse. Like you said, he showed all facets of his game. You know, he had the 80-yard touchdown run, the third TD of at least 70 yards (laughs) this season alone, okay? Uh, the th- You know, he rolled up the 331 yards. That's his sixth 150-yard game-plus this season. Six of them. Yeah. Okay, and then he showed in the overtime session, scoring two touchdowns in overtime, that he can be counted on when your backs are up against the wall and, you know, when it's money time and when the big players need to make the big plays – you give the ball to Jonathan Taylor.
0: Jeff, the only reason we're not talking about every single game being over 150 yards, it goes back to that Northwestern game. And let's face it, that Northwestern game was such an anomaly for, for the Badgers in the fact that it was Jack Cohn's first start. It was the Wildcats putting nine in the box. I mean, they they were overloading the box like there was no tomorrow because they knew all the Badgers were going to try and do is run. So you had guys who were going unblocked just in sheer numbers. Mm-hmm. And then for whatever reason, and we've talked about this, we felt like Paul Chris kind of shortened the playbook and took some of the game out of Cone's hands because we really didn't throw the ball much in that game, and and listen, Paul Chris, he's around those guys obviously a whole lot more than we are, so there was a comfort level that he had with Jack Cohn with a, with a shortened playbook, but it also brought those Wildcat defenders into the box and really didn't allow for any sort of running game to take place because we didn't even try to throw the football against Northwestern. Yeah. Just think if we would have thrown the football a little bit, just a little bit, successfully against Northwestern, that stat that you just alluded to would have been even more because it would have softened things up and allowed people like Jonathan Taylor and Deal and and everybody else who lines up in that backfield an opportunity to really run the football.
1: Well, I don't even think that they needed to be all that successful at it. If I was Chris, I would have told Cone, listen, man, I want you to sit there and throw the ball 25 yards But I want you to throw it out of bounds. I'm going to have, you know, Danny Davis (laughs) running down the sideline, throw it five feet over his head, 25 yards down the field, just to show Northwestern that you were going to try to stretch the field a little bit, and maybe that alone would have softened it up. Because obviously the kid was nervous. First start, on the road, Big Ten play, you know, all that. So there was a lot on his shoulders. Paul Chris did him no favors. But I agree with you 100%. If you know he could have completed at least, you know, eight to ten, you know, semi-decent passes in that game, it would have softened it up. Or like I said, I would have sat there and just thrown magic at him, <laughs> and uh, and tried to you know throw the ball out of bounds, but just show him that you're willing to take a deep shot.
0: You know, after what we saw this past week with Jack Jack Cohn and Alex Hornerbrook, and then you saw the catch from Danny Davis and you've seen over the course of this year, just ever intermittently, ever so often a catch here by a tight end a catch here by another wide receiver and I know last week on the show when when Sparky was in for a moment and you and, and Dan and I, we were all talking about the fact that for once, it seems as if Wisconsin has receivers Yeah, something that we really haven't been too gung-ho about in I don't know how many years, and we finally got them, and then we're struggling to get the ball to them, but in that second half, and maybe it was the fact that the the Taylor runs kind of just put confidence in everybody, because Cone even looked more confident, and he put... (laughs) Davis's catches is, is remarkable. Yeah. But Cone put that football in the only place it could go. If he underthrows it it's intercepted. If he throws it a touch higher, well, it's in the front row of the stands. If it's anywhere but where he put it, there's no way that catch is made, and yet it took an unbelievable one-handed catch for it all to come together, but Cone even seemed to have more confidence in being able to trust his receivers and put the ball wherever it needed to be and just you guys go ahead and go get it.
1: Well, and a lot of that is because of the big day at Taylor. The defensive linemen couldn't just pin their ears back and go full on, full bore right at him, And so that had to help. But Cone was, you know, very, very good. The fact that the Badgers were down two scores in the fourth quarter and were able to sit there and A-force overtime, then go to triple overtime to win the game. You know, he, he definitely showed some onions in this one. It was It was for me the
0: irony that we talked about last week on the show with the Badgers and the Packers where we sat there and said, it's amazing that we're wishing the Badgers would be able to throw more and run less, and we're wishing the Packers would run more and throw less. And then I'm watching the the game this past week, and we've been talking, or at least not we've been talking, I've been listening on this network, people talking about Aaron Rodgers and the issues and the troubles and the inability here, there, and everywhere. And one of them is stop waiting, throw the ball to a spot, let your receivers go get it, and that's exactly what Cohn did on Saturday night. He started throwing the ball to a spot and letting his receivers go get it and and success be as it may.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was, you know, you got to give Paul Christ uh, a lot of credit, the offensive game plan that they came up with. Obviously, you know, uh, me saying that, I I just kind of threw up in my mouth a little bit because that's (laughs) that's what makes me sick about, like, college basketball, which we're going to start next week is – you know, uh, if I'm a college basketball coach and, and my star player is uh, is Mr. Uh, Wachilis over here and, you know, you shoot, uh, you go for 60 points, oh, man, Coach Pipebomb was fantastic yeah. on his game tonight, but then the next game you shoot 0 for 20. Well, it's your fault and not mine, right. so I get all the credit and none of the blame. So, but, but that goes that goes with the quarterback position, though, doesn't it? Too well, As yeah. much as you were talking about Paul Chris,
0: you know, quarterbacks always win you games, yep. but they never quite lose you a game, and that that always can be a bone of contention. I'm quite sure with a lot of the guys who play that position. Time for us to take another break, as we said at the top of the hour. Give or take a couple of minutes. We hope to be talking with the new head coach at Aurora University down in Illinois, former Packer, former Super Bowl champ, Don Beebe, set to join us here on the college football show. We'll get to more college football coming up next. This is the college football show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Once again, welcome back in to the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM. The fan, the professor, Dan Underberg, is in studio. Made it. It's Safe in and here. sound. Yeah, it's a little it's nice. warmer in here. Uh, as we continue to uh, talk about the Badgers, now look forward a little bit as they'll be playing for Paul Bunyan's Axe this Saturday at Camp Randall against Minnesota. And, Dan, I'll start with you. This is a team that has... Beaten Purdue, lost to Illinois, <laughs> got crushed by Maryland. I mean, they've they've lost games that you look at it on paper and you go, eh, except I, I, I dare to say now Maryland after what Maryland did against Ohio State and coming ever so close to winning that game. Mm-hmm. But at the point – when they were playing, you looked at it and went, ah, "Minnesota's got a chance," and laid an egg. And then they go in against teams that you thought ah, they should get crushed, and they win a game, right. which gives you kind of a bit of cause going into Saturday's oh, game sure. for Paul Bunyan's axe.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't know which Minnesota team we're gonna see. There's, there's a bit of a multiple personality thing going on here. I um.
0: <laughs> Go ahead, say it.
2: Yeah. Well, I, we were off air, and I refer to it as Sybil. Yes. You know, and, and I, I just look at this. I don't know what to make of this Minnesota team coming into Camp Randall. The way Wisconsin comes back against Purdue, wins, you know, gashes them for, for all, that, all those running yards, and then at the same time, you'd think, okay, they'll, they'll be able to do the same thing against Minnesota, except I can't. I don't think anybody can explain the Golden Gophers right now. They're just a weird, a weird football team.
0: And I don't think anybody can really explain the Badgers at this point no, because good point. even looking at as as Jeff and I were talking in the show, you look at the game against Purdue and it really was a tale of two halves. Mm-hmm. That first half, again, you just kind of went, "Okay, here we go again." Penalties yep. putting the defense on the field in in three and outs because for you offensively, you're unable to get a first down. you got guys on the field who are getting exposed sometimes just because I think they're tired Mm -hmm. and they're young. And all of a sudden, the second half comes and it's like, finally, finally the switch flipped. Mm -hmm. So, going into Saturday, not only are we playing a Minnesota team that might have multiple personalities, you don't know yet as much as I told Jeff in the first segment, I thought with Everything that we're hearing with Aaron Rodgers in this galvanizing moment, I thought the Danny Davis catch for the Badgers was the galvanizing moment that has changed everything, and I hope I'm right because then that would mean this team would start the game on Saturday like they finished the game against Purdue.
2: Well, if if that moment by Danny Davis, the runs by, by Taylor, and then ultimately the overtime victory, three overtime victory, if that's not a galvanizing moment, I don't know what is. Right. You know, I, I just at that point, I mean, we've been waiting all season for a moment like this. We're used to Wisconsin doing something like this earlier. It's never happened. And it's still at the end of the day, we're still looking at a team that's a one-dimensional team. If they're gonna beat anybody, it's gonna be on the run, you know. And so you've got you've got Minnesota expecting this. You know, again, bruised that they don't have the axe, they haven't had it for years. And now I think there's another there's another kind of subplot to this. You've got an offensive line that wants to get their running back to 2,000 years and at least invited to the Heisman Trophy, you know, award ceremony. And you've got another team that wants to make sure that absolutely doesn't happen. So I, your guess is as good as mine for Saturday. I have no idea. Hey, Jeff,
0: here comes the next guess that we have to put on the table. Jack Cohn played... Respectable. We, I mean, we talked about that in the first two segments. He played beyond respectable for a guy who's gotten only, what, four starts now uh, in his collegiate career at Wisconsin. And now you're back home, and we haven't heard definitive, definitively, he says five times fast, yet if Alex Hornerbrook has cleared concussion protocol. If Hornerbrook clears concussion protocol – who do you go with then on Saturday?
1: Hornibrook, you know, you want, if if I'm Paul Crist, which I'm not, I don't have the checkbook uh, to, <laughs> to claim that, but if I was, I would want to redshirt Cone pretty much at all costs this season. You know, and everybody, oh, well, that's crazy because he's not going to start next year. And when, uh, when Mertz comes in, he's not going to start. But we've seen Hornibrook go down. So... Who's to say that this Mertz kid is going to be durable when he's here? You want another year, you you know, you're starting to see glimpses out of cone and you can, you know, you're seeing progress. I want him to redshirt this season and and stay eligible that extra year.
0: Boy, that's a that's a great point that you make and it's a it's a tough call, Dan, because the way Hornerbrook has played has been so sketchy throughout the course of this season where I look at somebody like Jack Cohn and as Jeff just said, he's making the strides week in and week out since mm-hmm. we've seen him take the field. And I completely get the red aspect of it because at any given point you don't know. But I, there's a part of me as a selfish fan – and not as someone who's looking necessarily in the future, like Jeff was, for the here and now. That I'd want to see Cone on the field to see if the momentum can carry over from the end of the Purdue game into Minnesota. But it's at risk of this young man losing his redshirt status.
2: Yeah, I am I'm, I'm going to go with Jeff on this one. I think I think that it has to go to Hornibrook because he was a starter. He lost the he lost position due to injury. Wisconsin's offense hasn't played so well under Cohen that um, it necessitates that he gets the job. I, there's a part of me in a perfect world that would be like, okay, he's done enough, he's grown enough that I'd like to see him get some snaps, but then you risk the redshirt and doing that. So I think it's going to be Hornibrook until until he's injured again, which I'm not hoping for, don't get me wrong, but I, I think it's going to be Hornabrook again. I just look into the future and, uh, man, Suddenly this, this position of quarterback which was so crystal clear six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, now we're I think we're going into a three horse race starting next fall. Who who the who's the quarterback gonna be? I don't know. Hey Don, I'm ahead.
1: sorry to interrupt you. Okay, so you said as a selfish fan, you kinda want Cone to start. Yeah. Why? What what benefit does that have as for you as a fan? Because you might make the citrus bowl instead of the Idaho <laughs> potato bowl, you might make you know uh, bowl a C level bowl anyway instead of a D minus bowl. So let let's go back to you and I in the first
0: segment, and we and we we didn't even really have a discussion. You, you brought out the point between analytics and momentum, mm-hmm. and we're getting towards the end of the year, and I think the analytics side goes with what you're saying. Sit them, red shirt them. Let let well enough be let Hornerbrook finish out the year, let's see what happens, and then we end up with Dan's talking about, which is this three horse race going into next year. Then there's the momentum part, and I guess that's that's the way I'm thinking of it as we finish the year being the regular season strong, and regardless of what bowl it is that momentum than building the confidence that carries you into next year. So for me, it's the momentum side of the brain over the analytic side of the brain, not necessarily what bowl we're going to get into, but more of can you get that head of steam rolling again so that going into next year, the confidence from from that particular perspective is higher than just worrying about the analytical side.
1: But don't you think that the college football bowl structure in and of itself destroys your momentum? Say Wisconsin comes out and they win the axe 107 to nothing. Okay. Okay, so now, oh, God, the momentum's rolling. Well, guess what? You got a month off. And then you're going to play a bowl game. So all the bowl game is talent versus talent. There's no mo. You can't carry momentum a month. So, you know, then it's just line up and, and who's better? For the most part. At least that's that's how I look at it. Yeah, no, I hear what you're
0: saying. I just again it to me it's about having that, that what has started as a snowball build into something much bigger at the bottom of the hill, and I understand on the on the way down the hill it gets interrupted. It gets paused, <laughs> it sits for a while, it waits, and then it continues hopefully to roll again. It turns so, into ice. It you know. turns into yeah, all, all of that meteorological crap that goes on as it makes its way down the hill. But I, I guess, again, for me it's more about building momentum and confidence because that defense is incredibly young and you're going to get quite a few of them back the offense you have the potential to get quite a few of them back because we've seen at least on the offensive line the injuries that have taken place we've seen young guys that have had to next man up and those guys are going to be back so i just i guess for me i'm already looking into next year not so much the idaho potato bowl or the (laughs) red box bowl or, or or whatever bowl game we're gonna be invited to. As opposed to can we now start putting the walls back up and getting ready for next year's Big Ten season. I guess that's the only the only way I was looking at it.
2: I you know, I kind of see these last two games if Hornerbrook is starting, I, I think this is these are really important games for him because um I don't think Paul Chris is one that really gives into out or external pressure. But at the same time, if he can't perform against a rivalry game and then, again, whatever bowl game they end up going to, he can't perform well there, I think Chris doesn't have a choice. He's got to look at Graham Mertz coming into in the future, uh, looking at that. Um, I think though, if there's anything that we need where this, the snowball that we're talking about needs to happen, we I, I care less about the bowl game at this point. I just don't want to go to the Outback Bowl again or whatever it is. But what I do want to see is if... If if Alex Hornibrook is going to have the chance to be a good senior quarterback, it has to start now, because he cannot go into next season second guessing himself.
0: And and for me, I don't I think this is about Alex Hornibrook leaving whatever mark he's going to leave at Wisconsin at the end of this year. I don't even I necessarily don't even play him in or factor him in to next year. I with with the concussion syndrome that that's kind of playing and rearing its mm-hmm. ugly head as this season has gone through the way he seems to have regressed instead of progressed we've seen Jack Cohn as we said in the last segment Jeff really kind of make some leaps and bounds with with the minimal playing time he's had so far this year with the addition of Mertz next year I I almost can see Alex Hornerbrook as your number three instead of your number one
1: that's tough that's tough to mm-hmm. sit there and tell that kid hey man you know, sorry, but you're way you know, go sit on a bench. No, no, farther down. <laughs> farther down. Go sit on two benches over, you know. Go help Bucky. Yeah, Alex. yeah. Alex, yeah maybe we'll dress as Bucky next yeah. year. Yeah. You know, it is tough. You know, for me, I would like to see Cone come in as, you know, maybe one and then Mertz as as one B and then Hornerbrook, you know, you better sh- come with some wow factor. And uh,
0: You just you just made I, my point. The only <laughs> the only difference is you gave him a participation medal.
2: I did instead of a clipboard.
0: <laughs> I did. Okay.
1: All right. So I'm, I'm <laughs> glad gonna, I'm see through.
2: I'm gonna go. I'll just throw one throw in on this really quick, which is Hornybrook gets a starting nod next year because he's the senior. They've got three years invested in him, but he's gonna have a short leash, I think, unless it's a concussion issue all the way through. Um, he starts next season regardless.
0: All right. So with that, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll wrap up this Badger forecast going into Saturday as they play for Paul Bunyan's Axe. Don't forget, top of the hour or within a few minutes thereof, we're going to be talking with Don Beebe, former Green Bay Packer and Buffalo Bills, six-time Super Bowl participant, who is now the head coach at Aurora University. And we'll get to all of this next. This is the College Football Show right here on 1057 FM, The Fan. Once again, welcome back in to the College Football Show right here on 1057 FM, The Fan. As we continue this whole thing about Wisconsin and Minnesota and you know, what could take place this Saturday. I know we've we've I, I think we've pretty much covered every aspect of it, other than who do you think wins when the clock hits zero on Saturday? Professor, give me a prediction.
2: Oh yikes. Um <sighs> And maybe you know, during the commercial I yeah, should have forewarned I, you. My Sorry. goodness, we, Wisconsin has had this ax for so long now, I just I just think it might be time that they lose it for a year. Yeah. I hate saying that, but um, I'm just not a believer in their consistency yet. I hope that uh, Taylor gets over 2,000 yards, but I, I, I don't have a score. I just feel like it's going to be Minnesota this year.
1: All right, Jeff, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to go with the Badgers. I think we'll be able to tell very early in the game. If you look at uh, Minnesota's season history, Either they they win uh, a fairly close game or they get the doors blown off. Uh, they don't really lose any close games. Yeah. So I think if Wisconsin gets off to a fast start that they're going to dominate this one. Uh, give me 31-10. to 31-10
0: to 10, the Polish pipe bomb is predicting. I, I think Jeff said it again right off the bat. It's going to be can Wisconsin get off to a decent start. They can't. They can't, they can't continue to have the first halves like we've seen where they just kind of meander their way through and then all of a sudden wake up in the second half like they did against Purdue. You can't give Minnesota any reason whatsoever to feel like they're in this game. And I understand what you're saying, Dan, but I, I don't want to see the axe go anyplace well, i, wa- I? I want to see the X stay at home i'm going to take wisconsin on the backs of jonathan taylor and what will be an historic day at least i believe i'm going to take them 31 17 they'll get the win at camp randall hey when we come back after this commercial break we're going to be talking with former green bay packer don Beebe. Don Beebe now the head coach at Aurora University down in Illinois. Aurora, one of those teams that will be up here playing teams like Wisconsin Lutheran College and Concordia. So we'll get an opportunity to talk with, in this case, Coach Beebe, and we'll do it next. This is the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. The Fan. Welcome back into the college football show right here on 1057 FM, the fan, 1250 AM, or as always on the radio.com app. Pleased to be joined now on the great Midwest Bank hotline, a name that is really familiar for people, football fans in this area. He is now the new head coach at Aurora University. He's former Green Bay Packer in Buffalo Bill, now known as the head coach, Don Beebe. Coach, how you doing?
3: I'm doing great. How about you guys?
0: We're doing fantastic. Can't thank you enough for taking uh, some time here uh, to join us on the college football show because I'm sure life has taken a very interesting turn now that you've been hired at Aurora. Coach, being early on in this process what's the to-do list like? Like, you sit down, you get all of the fanfare, the introductions, the pats on the back, and all of a sudden you walk in the office and it's time for you to really get down to business. What is the to-do list, the itinerary, look like right now for you?
3: Well, it's a grind. There's no doubt about it, but I I love every minute of it. And, you know, our our main focus right now is I'm just putting my staff together. Um, we got to start hitting the road recruiting, uh, so we're forming a list. On the recruiting uh, aspect of it, I got to meet with compliance. I got to meet with admissions. I got a several meetings with human resource. Um, so it's it's uh, it's a never-ending job, to be honest with you. But it's it's a lot of fun.
0: Don, when did you know that coaching was going to be your calling once your playing days were done?
3: I knew pretty much right away. I just felt like I wanted to impact uh, younger people and obviously through sports, so uh, coaching was uh, something I definitely was going to get into. I, ho- I started House of Speed training athletes right out of you know, retirement in 98 uh, when I left the pack, um, but I knew eventually I was going to get into coaching, and I started at the high school level, did that uh, as a head coach for 10 years, and then did it more- four more years as an assistant offense coordinator, and uh, I knew when I became an empty nester, uh, which <laughs> I am going to be next year, that I wanted to start coaching at uh, the college level.
2: So, Don, you have been, obviously, when when you were coming up through the ranks, you were recruited as a college athlete. You've seen your son recruited as a college athlete. So how has recruiting changed over the years, and, and how are you going to approach that uh, that's, that purpose, I guess?
3: Yeah, I think the biggest thing that, that has changed in recruiting, uh, obviously social media, is a huge difference. Uh, than when I was coming out, um, but I think the biggest thing that that these coaches are looking for nowadays, and that has changed over the years, is is character. Uh, you know, they they don't want to deal with the headache, and uh, you see so many of it, and you still see it at the professional level and collegiate level especially. And, uh, and these owners and these in these uh, schools, colleges, they just don't want to deal with stuff like that. I mean, it just brings a bad name to your program and school and organization. And uh, you know, no matter how talented he is, and I think I learned this from Bill Polian. Bill Polian, in my mind, is the greatest general manager I've ever live, and and um, and he is a guy. He's a guy that uh, first thing he would look for is character. And you can go all the way back to the Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf draft. And when he had the first pick, and he was taking taking Peyton Manning all the way, even though everybody else is saying Ryan Leaf. So it's it's become a a big thing in in, uh, scouting and in recruiting.
0: You know, Don, when we talk about the character aspect of things, it's almost like, I remember the lectures, you know, as a kid when, when dad would say, if common sense were common, everybody would have it kind of a thing. So what becomes then the earmarks when you're looking at a potential recruit that you kind of you cornerstone things as far as character goes? And, and I guess what I'm saying is what are you looking for to maintain that certain level of character that you want to bring into your program?
3: Okay, well, that's a great question. So the first thing I would do or I'm going to do, is I'm going to sit down with these high school coaches, and I'm going to ask them, I said, you know, what was your relationship like with, with, that, with this athlete's parents? Um, and that will tell me a lot. Um, so, and then from there, in watching film, the things that I look for is, does an athlete constantly hustling when the play's going on on the other side of the field, are they going from this side to the other side? Uh, does a player on the sideline, or if he's on the field, enjoy somebody else's success? because typically if they do, they're more of a team guy and they're really, you know, great job and they're really happy for their teammate instead of just, you know, putting their hand down and saying, geez, why didn't you throw me the ball and start walking back to the sideline? I'm not taking that guy, you know? So, you know, those are things that just the starting point, Um, that I look for on film or ask the high school coach.
0: We're talking with former Green Bay Packer and Buffalo Bill, Don Beebe, who's now the head coach at Aurora University down in Illinois and a team that people in our area are going to be familiar with because you'll be playing the likes of Wisconsin Lutheran College and Concordia as part of the NACC. Coach, when you alluded to uh, a few minutes ago the fact you're about to be an empty nester, was that an important part uh, for you, It was to wait until the kids were gone before you dove into this coaching thing at the university level, knowing the hours and, and the, the different hours for that that will be taking place as far as your normal day-to-day life goes?
3: Yeah, without question. Uh, you know, my priorities have always been my faith is first, my wife is second, my kids are third, and then whatever I do uh, in, in as far as my job, um, it is, and I've kept that perspective. And I, you know, thank God, thank God, my dad, you know, taught me those traits, and gave me those values. Uh, I could have gone back and coached in the pro ranks in 2005. I was asked by Marv Levy, when he was the general manager of the Buffalo Bills, he asked me if I would go back and coach, and 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 I told him no. I mean, I was honored. <laughs> Obviously, I was honored sure. by him calling me. But yet, I just knew what was most important to me. I would much rather, I would much rather win a state championship or win games with my kids in the field or other kids in the field than winning the Super Bowl and making $10 million a year as a head football coach in the NFL. That's just me.
0: All right, Don. So you, you've you've played the game, obviously. You've got sons who have played the game or are playing the game, excuse me. And you And you've also been a coach. What has those three perspectives – kind of come into molding how you go about as a coach and what what have you learned as a coach now that you look back in your playing days and go I didn't realize all of this was taking place while I was in the huddle or you know jumping into formation as we were getting ready to go
3: <laughs> well as a coach you, know, you, you certainly got to know all aspects of the game as a wide receiver playing I just knew how to run routes and catch balls and learn what the defense is doing to me okay uh, now i got to know what a kicker does. <laughs> you know, I don't know the first thing I was kicking when I first started coaching, uh, but now i got to know what, how, that, how to assemble that and overlook that and, and making sure that our special teams coach is getting that, you know, that right. So you got to pick the brains of greatness. And so when I retired and knew I was getting into coaching, I took a lot of notes and I talked to a lot of people. And then you learn as you go. And, and one of the things when you go to the NFL, let's say, you know, a lot of the, my friends have gone that way. But what do they do? The first thing they start out with typically is quality control. Quality control is a very hard, tough job. It is 24-7 on that screen, you know, learning how to implement defenses and offensive schemes. So as, as a coach, that's one thing that I learned that I didn't really know as a player. And being as a player, it helped me as a coach because the feeling and the mental part of it, You know, so when I became a coach, what I would have never known if I wasn't a player is what is that guy thinking in a high-pressure situation? Or what is that kid thinking that I'm getting on him right now? You know, most players probably think that I don't like him. That's why it's so important for me to go back later on and put my arm around that kid and say, dude, I love you. Okay, I love you. I'm in your corner. You just keep working hard, buddy. You're doing just good. Just right. You know, something like that. I mean, that's all it takes sometimes for a player to hear from his coach. And then, because I see so many coaches just berating and getting on and getting on, and they never encourage or they just never say a word to them at all. Um, so I think that that is the two things that I would learn from both sides of that coin.
0: Uh, and one more, because I know Dan wants to jump in. He's got a question for you, but Don, as, as a parent, as somebody who's sitting up in the stands watching his, his children play the game, and let's face it, when you're sitting up in the stands, you're hearing all kinds of various perspectives of what should and shouldn't be done while the game is yeah. going on. Was there, were there times where you just looked at the rest of your family and said, I need to go take a walk for a second because I don't want to say something to somebody because they really don't know what they're talking about, even though their heart might be in the right place?
3: Yeah, yeah, it's funny you say that because I tell you what, it's uh, people are crazy. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, you just you just marvel and you just realize that they're just a parent and they're just they care about their kids and that's gone. Uh, let's just let's just say it's it's gotten out of control. Um, you know, with with a lot of people, most for the most part, most parents are great people. They just want what's best for their kid, but you know, at the same time. There's so many people that that are taking it too far and putting so much pressure on these kids to perform, and the reason is is college costs so much money nowadays that they they you know the pressure for them to get it paid for is become overwhelming for some, and everybody has to have what's best for their kid. I think of parents, and to me, I was never that way with my wife, and we had the approach of we're just going to enjoy this experience. You know, it's it's. It's going to be tough enough, especially for my son. I had one boy and three girls. It's going to be tough enough on him as it is, you know, just being an NFL player's son. Sure, you know, and I don't, I don't want to put that undue pressure on him. He was already going to have that from other people. I just wanted him to know that I was, you know, why he was growing up. I was his dad, and now that he's gone, I'm his best friend, and um, and so we've kind of, I mean, we just have a phenomenal relationship. And so do I do my girls too. And I think the relationship. Is because I never did put that kind of pressure. I didn't sit in the stands and say that my kid had to have this or that, and you know, and and put so much pressure that you've got to go work out and you know, so because we got to get that college paid for. That's just crazy.
0: No, oh, that's 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 awesome perspective, yeah, no, Dan. Go ahead.
2: So let's let's kind of stay in that same line of thinking then. So now you're you're Don Beebe, head coach of Aurora. You are part of the NCAA Division Three. No scholarships, obviously. You're sitting down uh, on that couch in somebody's living room, and you're trying to explain why Aurora is a good fit for that athlete. How are you? Here's your opportunity. So, so pitch Aurora a little bit. Tell us all the good things that are down there, and and how would you get them to come to play for you?
3: Well, there's a few things I would say. Is uh, you know, we're I uh, ever since I was a little kid, I I and I don't say this. I've just been very fortunate to be on. Teams that have, I've never, the last losing team that I've been on as a player and or as a head coach was my junior year bat football season in high school. And that, wow. that's the last time. So <laughs> that's I, a good I don't run. Know, I, hey, yeah, I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. I've never been on a team that was a losing team. Even going to, you know, the Carolina Panthers when I went there, the, the expansion team, they were 8-8. Eight and I eight. And it was 500. That was a great record for that team. So I know what winning looks like. You know, and I'm going to instill as much as I can. And you've got to get everybody bought into it. It's, it's not just a one-man band. I mean, you've got to hire the right coaches. You've got to get the community, the school, everybody bought into it. And, and create an atmosphere that's just fun to be a part of. And I want parents out there tailgating. And I, and I, want, the, I want everybody involved. You know, so it, when they feel that energy and that passion, people want to be attracted. They're attracted to that. When They want to be a part of that. So when I sit down with a kid, I'm going to tell them, that's the atmosphere where we're, we're going to build it. At Aurora University, we're going to win, and this is how we're going to win, and 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 teach them, and and whatever position that they play, I would kind of center it around that position, and then say this is what we're, how we're going to develop that, um, and 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 I would tell a kid even if the kid had a you know, Division One school and Division One talent, I would tell that kid, you know, you could go to Division One, no question, and you know what? you could sit for three four years and maybe never play. It Happens all the time. Or you can go to a school like a you know royal university or any school division three or division two, and go there and be highly successful, and and have a great career and put up big numbers and get some film. And the nice thing, and I don't say this to brag, I'm just very fortunate to have a lot of friends that are head coaches in the NFL. And if I feel like a kid has that, I mean, I could certainly just hand the film to them and they'll watch it, whether they take you or not. I can't do anything about that, but. I think it would give the kid like that great opportunity to maybe go on to the next level to have that dream. And again, we're talking a very small percentage is able to do that. So, But for the most part, it's the biggest picture, guys, is this. I want 99% of those kids that are never going to have a chance probably playing the NFL. It's just to enjoy that experience of four years of college football And get a great degree and then go be a great worker, a great employer, employer, whatever that is, be a great husband, be a great father. I mean, those are all the principles that I'm going to teach them along with our staff. Um, Because I see so many kids just go to these schools and it's just a miserable experience, you know, and that's a sad, that just saddens me big time.
0: Yeah, Don, I don't think it's it's a matter of bragging. I think it's the fact that your network includes some NFL coaches, and, and it doesn't matter what realm of life you're in. Sometimes you, you need access to showcase, I guess, what your skill set is. And so that's essentially what you can provide some of those students that might end up at Aurora I want to change gears just a bit because we've only got a couple of minutes left here. Has a parent now watching your son play professional football? What's that been like? And what have the conversations been like between you and your son about the various things that happen at the professional level?
3: I, you know, I'm, I'm, again, I try to, I try to let him just be his own man. Uh, even though we talk every day, sometimes two times a day, you know, um, you know, our conversations basically center around, you know, how you doing, how you feeling, and how things going, and just your day-to-day deal. I mean, we're best friends, you know, and um, and so it's just we talk like we're best friends. Uh, you know, he's a grown man now, um, so uh, to me, I don't, I don't really get nervous. I'm I mean, sounds kind of crazy and strange, but it's, I just I'm I, I want to enjoy this so much as a parent with Diana, my wife that however long this ride lasts, just enjoy it and have fun. I'm not sitting here putting pressure. I'm not putting pressure on us as parents. And so I don't typically, I, and this may sound really strange, a lot of times you'll see me in the stands, and i am just got a headset, earpiece is in my ear, and I'm listening to worship music. So it's kind of, kind of crazy. I know, but I just kind of block the crowd out, like you said. I mean, to hear these people behind me be coaches and screaming you know. and like that, I just kind of block it out with some music.
0: That's a great way of going about it. That That's just that that's something I think a lot of people who are doing the yelling could could actually take yeah. as a as a tip. Hey, listen, before we let you go, I got to ask you this with the way yeah. the game has evolved, especially within the NFL. How different might your career be with the way the offensive rules are set now within the NFL? Would your numbers be that much more astronomically higher? Do you sit back <laughs> and go, "Boy, I wish I was playing today" as opposed to 20 years ago, just the way the game is situated now?
3: Yeah, I mean, obviously, then I I always use the analogy of the guys that played 20 years before me are saying the same thing when I played. Yeah, so that's true. it's all relative, and it's you know, and I and I and I'm just. I'm just glad that it is because I don't think my son would have played my era because I was more of an outside speed guy and, you know, he's more of that slot guy and the slot guy really didn't come. It kind of started with Andre Reed and the Buffalo, you know, offense, but it really came to fruition with, you know, Wes Welker. And, um, and now every team has that Wes Welker. And so Chad fits that mold perfectly. Um, So with that respect, yeah, I, I know I would have had more catches and, and, you know, because they're throwing it 50, 60 times in a game. Sure, But at the same point, um, I ain't complaining. Man, I had so much fun. I I got no regrets at all.
0: That's awesome. I love your perspective and what you're going to bring to Aurora University. Don, thank you so much for uh, taking some time to join us here on the College Football Show. Best wishes, best of luck, and we'll see you up in these parts when you're taking on the likes of uh, Wisconsin Lutheran College and Concordia.
3: Sounds good, guys. Um, I appreciate you having me on.
0: Uh, that's that's awesome. We appreciate you taking that time, as we said. That's head coach Don Beebe, now at Aurora University, joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. When we return, we'll continue to look at The D3 playoff action that took place this past week and what took place has set life up for something that we were hoping for last week at Whitewater. We'll talk all about it next. This is the College Football Show right here on 1057 FM, The Fan. What's good? Welcome back in to the College Football Show right here on 1057 FM, The Fan, 1250 AM and as always on the radio.com app. Once again, remember that this is the season finale of the College Football Show. As we will transfer into basketball, and we'll move to Sunday, starting December second. Are we and taking
2: odds on how many times we're going to say the College Football Show when it's the College Basketball Show? You know what?
0: I think it was only once this year. I flipped them, but yeah, that first, yeah, this that is, first week it's going to be three. that first week is going to be <laughs> one where can we can we delete tape rewind, do something. But anyway, the College Basketball Show, December 2nd, Sundays from that point on, noon to 2, right here on The Fan. As we continue talking D3, Dan, Coach Beebe was awesome, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he was.
2: Man, I could have kept that going for another half hour, hour. It's just, it's just his attitude, right? He's a positive guy. Yes. And it, you just kind of soak that up. So I can, I can only imagine what it's got to be like to sit in the room with him potentially being recruited or being coached, I mean, you just can't get enough of that. Yeah,
0: and when you're, when you're talking about some of these kids who get mystified, I, I'll say it that way, by college scholarships and this thought of going D1, this thought of the dream continuing, because mm-hmm. for many, that's what it is. It's oh, yeah. about the dream continuing. If you listen to... To what Don Beebe said, which was, "Hey, you know, you can come with me. I've got this network," and and I'll say it again, like I said during the course of that interview, it's not bragging; it's who you know, right? Yeah, some of your friends are head coaches in the National Football League. It's Mm -hmm. it's nothing to kind of roll back from. It's something that you should step up and really be. I guess, proud of the fact that that's your network. Yeah. And as a young man, if he's coming into my home and saying, this is my network and these are the people I have contacts with, and if you fulfill your obligations and you have the kind of success we think you're capable of having, this is where I can at least, as he said, send the tape. Now what they do with the tape, that's another thing. But let's face it, in the business world, when you when you know somebody and you hand them a resume – it's still on them to then take that resume and and go forth with it if they choose to otherwise just like a tape it ends up sitting on somebody's desk until somebody decides to do some spring cleaning and then into the recycling bin it goes
2: yeah and i think i think it's important to to, to talk about, you know, B.B.'s approach to this. He's not offering this to everybody. He's only giving it to the students that, after a while, have shown that they are capable of doing this. I yeah. remember reading about uh, Charlie Weiss when he was in Notre Dame, and he would do his recruiting, and his recruiting pitch was essentially, here's my cell phone, who do you want to talk to? That's that's not what B.B. is doing. BB's talking about kind of the whole person, the, the whole character element of the student athlete he's potentially bringing onto his team into that university and then yeah if you're able to grow and mature and become that player if you're the right kid if you're the right guy yeah I'm happy to put that out there in front of you and and potentially get you in front of some coaches but that you know that's not going to happen to everybody and I you get the sense Don that he's willing to tell people that too it's like yeah it's just this is just not going to happen
0: no I think I think he's afforded that credit with the number of teams and the type of success he had in the National Football League, especially the type of player that he was, yeah. he was really a uh, a grinder, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, had had talent. Now, I think that's the one thing that gets overlooked. He, he had talent. He had great speed. He had hands. He just, as he said, it was a different time and era from which he played. So he had to do some grinding and he did that. And that's what maintained himself throughout the longevity of his career. And I think that earns him the respect when he walks into those homes and says, This is what I can offer.
2: Yeah, I think he had to reset some knuckles and some fingers too from catching those passes from far. So well, Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure he's he's I'm got sure stories.
0: Once in a while when he goes to a gesture where fingers kind of are <laughs> flopping in different directions than than what we normally saw. Let's get back into the D3 uh conversation as the road to the stag bowl is well underway. Last week, first round action is in the books. And Dan, as I said, we got what we were hoping for, which was a kind of Wisconsin shall we say, second round matchup mm-hmm. between UW-Whitewater and St. Norbert. It'll take place this Saturday at Whitewater. The time still to be determined, probably safe to say somewhere around noon, one o'clock-ish, but you're going to want to check the Whitewater website, the St. Norbert website, or you can go to D3.com, D3Football, excuse me, .com, and they'll have all of the start times available. Whitewater just rolled They just rolled 67 to 14 in that first round home game. And though not necessarily tested, if you're a Whitewater fan, you got to be pleased with the fact you took care of business, you got out of the first round without any major injuries, you got your work in, but then you were able to step off and let some of the other guys go mm-hmm. out and finish it up for you.
2: Yeah, I think so too. It's, I think that was probably the best-case scenario for Whitewater, like you said, to be able to walk in. You pretty much dominated from the start. You were able to kind of elicit your will um, on the opponent and just kind of work your way through. You keep your guys warm, keep the momentum going, keep the confidence going, and then move into the second round. You don't have to worry about at some point, man, how did that happen? And getting nervous about, you know, a a mistake here, mistake there. That just wasn't the case. They should walk into this next game with St. Norbert really confident, but. St. Norbert should walk into this game really confident too.
0: St. Norbert getting its first playoff win since 2003. They with a road game this past week at Trine, Trine undefeated, going into the first <laughs> round no game. 31 to 7. St. Norbert wins. Mm-hmm. The the player though of the game for St. Norbert of St. Norbert, Matt Gergon, scores twice in 19 seconds on the defensive side. A fumble and a pick six in 19 seconds really kind of put Trine in the rearview mirror of Saint Norbert. I mean, they were they were in a battle, but once Gergon got those two touchdowns, <laughs> they were gone, and Trine never had a wow. chance. Wow! Thank you so much. <laughs> I worked I worked all weekend on that one. Trine just never had a chance to get back into the mix.
2: No, it wasn't going to happen. And I think again, one of the things that's lost in this out this offensive output between these two teams is you've got really, you've got two really stout defensive programs there, you know, to, to be able to hold trying to seven points, Whitewater does what Whitewater does, holds its team to 14 points. I just, I, I think this is going to be a great game. I do, I do kind of expect Whitewater to take this one, Yeah. but um, I, this is not, this is not going to be 67 to 14 by any means. I think this is going to be much tighter, a lot stouter, um, and I think this this will go into the third quarter before it's finally decided. Were you surprised by some of the first round scores? Yeah.
0: that came out of mm-hmm. last week. St. John's against Martin Luther. St. John's undefeated. Martin Luther nine and one. Martin Luther, kind of uh, the the uprising of the season. Uh, that's not the right term, but just kind of the, the story of Division Three for a team that hasn't had a lot of success on the football field, kind of making that run this sure. year. And St. John's beats them 84-6. to I mean, that's, again, I keep referring to it as arena football league numbers when you when you put scores up like that. North Central beats Hanover 52 to nothing. Mm-hmm. John Hopkins takes care of MIT 49 to nothing. I mean, there just seemed to be Mount Union over Denison 60 to nothing. There just seemed to be for a first-round tournament-type setup just a whole lot of lopsidedness. I get it when we're talking about basketball, especially at the Division 1 level when you're looking at a 16 and a 1, so to speak, going at one another where the the ability for a lopsided game can take place. I'm I'm just really surprised at some of the scores I saw out of the first round in the NCAA Division 3 tournament.
2: Well, and doesn't that tell you just the the vast Array of different conferences and conference strengths that are across the U.S. I mean, pretty clearly, not all the teams that are getting blown out are the at-large bids. In fact, I would guess that many of the at-large's are the ones that put up that put up better games and had better scores. But it also tells you, again, how spoiled are we in Wisconsin to watch football in the WEAC, to watch football in the NACC, to to see these games play because you're seeing. These Wisconsin-based teams, or I'll call it Upper Great Lakes-based teams, play very competitive, very strong football. Not the case in other parts of the country.
0: And do you wonder if some of those players and coaches, after seeing and knowing some of these teams and some of these teams have played against one another uh, in non-conference play from this area— if some of those coaches and players don't just sit back and go, oh, what the hell? Why aren't we here? Why didn't we get an at-large bid? But what I guess what I'm saying is, it goes to what you were speaking of with how good and how tough, for instance, the WEAC is, or how good, um, you know, some of the schools that are in Carthage's conference. You, yeah, you, you get what mm-hmm. I mean. Yeah, I doing? I mean, it's just it, the quality of play at the Division three level in this area isn't like what you see elsewhere. So when you're looking at Oshkosh or Lacrosse teams that are scratching their head, going, "Really, we couldn't get an I'm at large bid to make thing. the tournament more competitive," mm-hmm. but you know the people that are picking the at large, uh, the, the schools to fulfill the the 32 team uh, bracket is saying, you know, we need cross representation from all four corners of the country, and we just can't take everybody necessarily from Wisconsin.
2: Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. then but but I mean if the idea is to get the strongest 32 teams there, I mean, for example, just, just hear me out. I know this is crazy. Imagine, you know, the D1 football playoffs. And instead of taking the four best teams, you have to take the four best or the the most the best teams from the cross representation of the entire US. So you might you could say, yeah, the three best teams are Alabama and 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 let's um, Clemson and Georgia. Okay. But then someone on there says, nope, 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 nope nope we gotta get someone from the southwest. It doesn't count. You know, And yeah. so I, that's that's one of those things where there's no perfect way to do this. And I think when a committee like this gets together, they come together with the best intention of putting the best 32 fields in there. Oh, yeah. But when you're looking at a team, I'll, I'll use Oshkosh, for example, that has three losses, you automatically go into your bias and say, well, they got three losses. Well, yeah, they do, but look who they're playing. Look at the strength of the conference that they're in. There's just not a perfect way to do it, but at the same time, I again, there's not as much attention placed on a D three program as there is D one. You don't have the prognosticators picking everything back and forth, you know. This type of you know scenario in a first round for the for the top, quote the air quote top thirty two teams in Division three, this is going to happen. There's no way to get around it.
0: Well, and Dan once again unknowingly. What a segue. <laughs> Time for us to take a break. When we come back, let's talk some Division One. Let's talk Top 25, the playoff picture, and all of those things surrounding what will make up these final couple of weeks of the regular season within college football in what is now our season finale here on the College Football Show, and we'll do it all next as I mentioned, this is the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. All right, once again, welcome back in to the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan, 12.50 a.m. and on the radio.com app. Professor Dan Underberg with the Polish pipe bomb. Jeff Orlowski pushing the buttons on the other side of the table. I'm Don Wachillis. Let's take a look at the week that was, Daniel, and it, it had... The earmarks, I heard one um, national figure on Saturday morning before the games got started, and I I won't say names or networks because I don't want to get anybody here, namely us, in any sort of (laughs) trouble. But was looking at the games coming up last Saturday and talking about what's wrong with college football, Alabama playing the Citadel and Mm -hmm. went down the line and this, that, and the other thing, and I think had eight minutes to kill, so went – on a rant, so to speak. And what ended up happening? Yeah, Alabama beat the Citadel and beat them handedly. But if you watched any of that game, the Citadel gave Alabama a run for one half. And quite honestly, that's all you could really expect from the Citadel. That's all they were about to give you. But there were other games that I thought were so noteworthy going into last week. And and when the games concluded, it left you feeling, yeah, that's kind of what we thought. And in other cases, you kind of scratched your head and went, really? Is that really what just happened? They're not what we kind of mm-hmm. assumed that they would be. Most notably, for me, it was the matchup between Maryland and Ohio yeah, State. Man, Going into overtime, Maryland goes for two, and let's face it, the kid just missed them. The, him the wide kid open, makes yep. a better pass, mm-hmm. and we're talking about one of the biggest upsets of the college football season. And for whatever reason... Right now, Ohio State is not playing really good football. Their coach doesn't look good. And I don't mean to be that tongue-in-cheek. I mean physically, Urban Meyer does not look good on the sidelines. And I know when he left Florida and the whole thing about his health, and I kind of I, I the skeptic in me with what takes place sometimes within athletics had me scratching my head. But watching the sideline with Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer physically does not look good right now.
2: Well, his reactions to some of the plays, and look, there, fumbles are going to happen, interceptions are going to happen, bad plays are going to happen. I I grant that you don't coach for those, and I grant that you're not expecting of those at a program of Ohio State's caliber, but they are going to happen. But there there were points during that game against Maryland. Where he looked besides himself, like he didn't—he didn't know how to respond. He didn't know what to do. He was holding his head in his hands, and and he looked lost a little bit, just completely, you know, befuddled in terms of how to how to respond and how to get his his team out of this. The team doesn't look good. I I think if 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 Urban Meyer has a saving grace right now is that and it, this this popped out yesterday. Michigan has a running back. That popped off and you guaranteed a win. And man, why? <laughs>
1: yes. I, I agree with you. you
2: know, why you, would you do that in this game?
0: And and I get the fact that right now this this is rivalry week. Mm-hmm. You know, and especially if it's Michigan and Ohio State. And if you are Michigan, you're you're just foaming at the mouth because this is the year where you finally feel like you got the upper hand. We can't wait to go there. We can't wait to take care of business. We can't wait to just destroy Ohio State, but keep it in-house. Why are you giving a team like Ohio State locker room fodder to hang things up on everybody's locker and say, look what they're saying about, why are you trying to wake a sleeping giant? Right. Now, just I get a- it. They gave up 535 yards to Maryland. Mm-hmm. Maryland, of all teams, you gave up a lot of yards. And this defense is not playing well as far as the Buckeyes go. But they have an offense that can keep you in the mix. I just, I agree with you. Why do you want to wake a sleeping giant?
2: Yeah, that's, but... <laughs> You know, teenagers are going to be teenagers. I guess is the best true. way you can put it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, to me, I, I understand that all the mojo is going towards Michigan on this one. It, it's just, this one just kind of smells like an upset. Whoa, we're all talking about Michigan. They're going to make the final four. They're going to do these things. It just sounds like, or just smells like, you know, there's, there's just, there's, there's some karma going on right here where, oh, really? you're going to do this now, and the gods of football are going to sneak up and say, we're going to give this one to Ohio State.
0: If Ohio State were to come away at home with, I guess, what we could consider early on right now in the week as an upset, because I have to figure by the time the game begins, Michigan is going to go into that game as a road favorite. But if Ohio State were to win, imagine what that now then does to the top four, the top 25, just the the stirring, so to speak, that will take place because I can't see then Michigan staying in the top four. I can't see Ohio State vaulting into the top four just based on that one win alone, just off of the eye test. We always hear people talk about the eye test mm-hmm. when it comes to those things. The eye test right now for Ohio State is a failing grade. But then you also have to think Oklahoma is going, oh, please beat them.
3: Right. Please oh, beat him
0: because if you beat, we have a shot now to get in. It just it opens things up the way that at least right now it doesn't look like for some of these teams the door will ever open.
2: Yeah, and you look at you look at Oklahoma and they've got one of the most dy- dynamic players in the in the NCAA right now. And we we get caught up, and I will assume that the community can can get caught up in this stuff too in terms of, of who do you want to see play in the Final Four and manage that. I think it's going to be – this is probably the best two weeks of the year in college football because you've got a rivalry, rivalry week followed by um, your your championship games. And this is these are these two weeks now where everybody can go topsy-turvy. I think you could start with an Ohio State upset – and while I'm not predicting it, it, it could easily get completely screwed up if USC walks away with a win over Notre Dame. And then that leaves you with your top two over there. Again, we said it last week, I think no matter what happens to Alabama, I think that they get in regardless. But the the other three teams, it's going to be really interesting. They've got to watch their backs on this one. But, yeah, it's just, there's something about Ohio State and Michigan that just doesn't sit right right now. Have either of you
0: guys watched Oklahoma play with – uh, let me get let me make sure I get the name right. Kyler Murray, Yeah, as the quarterback. Jeff, remember watching the old baseball films of like Babe Ruth from nineteen thirty two truck around to bases. At just that little faster speed than what is normal, mm-hmm. that's exactly how Murray runs. Uh-huh. It's unbelievable how fast this kid is, but he takes those little short steps. And I kept waiting for her to hear that that old uh, piano music PA, in the background and the PA announcer <laughs> going, <laughs> you know, Ruth hit one into the seats and that nasal as he's running down the field because the way this kid moves, that's the first thing I thought of was like an old 1930s baseball. Uh, not not filmed the footage of a game when the speed was just a little faster than normal. This kid is so fast, it's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, he is. He runs like the road runner and all that. <laughs> yes, and uh, you know that offense just looks amazing. And the and the
0: worst part is, from a size perspective, he's never going to get a look in the NFL. Because if I'm not mistaken, he stands at 5'9". So you know a general manager is not going to take a chance on a guy who they feel can't see over their offensive tackle or guards in order to make a throw. But that's a kid, the way the CFL is played, I can see him going up north into Canada and having a very successful professional career because he's just too fast. His athleticism will overlook much of the the detracting factors that he has just from a size perspective as long as the head is on straight
1: well, well isn't drew Brees too short to play quarterback in the nfl and i think he's had a uh pretty uh pretty darn effective career uh you know not i'm not saying i'm just saying <laughs> you know uh front runner for the mvp uh this season and all that so you know, they might want to look past that little bias and give this kid a shot.
0: Jeff Orlowski, the voice of reason, ladies and gentlemen. You got, you got to <laughs> you got to have him on the show. You got to. All right. One other thing before we have to take another break. Uh, Notre Dame. Every time I think Notre Dame has hit that point where, okay, here comes the hiccup, they win. Not only do they win, they beat a really good Syracuse team this year and, and beat them handedly. But what were they thinking with those uniforms? <laughs> what Hideous. were they thinking with those uniforms? I get the pinstripe pants. Understood. You're playing in Yankee Stadium. little nostalgia. Understood. But those uniforms so reminded me of when the Packers go to the Acme uniforms. Mm-hmm. And both of them I do not like. But overlooking that... Notre Dame has met the challenge each and
2: every week yeah they have I, I remember starting the season thinking well Notre Dames being overrated again here we go but they to your point they have they have met every challenge that's been put in front of them um you know the argument can be made that even if they lose the USc they'll still have a good chance of getting in there but I it's it's just man I I didn't see this coming but that that switch of quarterback I think that changed the whole outlook for Notre Dame this year. They they got the right guy calling plays behind center. Uh, there's they they appear to me more than ever before. They're a confident football team. Now I'm not saying they're going to beat Alabama by any by any means, but this is the most confident I've seen Notre Dame play, even in those ridiculous uniforms. You'd think that would you know squash them down a bit. Like coach, we got to go out here in these. But you know they they they've managed. They get through, and I I can't realistically see them beating usc i just can't see it
0: the change in defensive quarter coordinator at notre dame i think is also something that gets overlooked when people talk about that team i think the scheme that he's implemented there the change that took place I think has been one of the factors as to why Notre Dame has been as successful as they've been so far this season with really, for them, one game to go because they don't have to worry about a conference championship. They just got to get past USC. USC, that just looks abysmal.
1: Dan, did you just say that you don't See Notre Dame beating USC? No, if
2: I said that, I'm a spoke I Okay, yeah, that's what I, I don't, that's I don't I see okay. USC beating Notre Dame. So right. thanks, yeah, I don't for think. catching me on that one. That's my first mistake on the show. We, we all got
0: wide eyes so. there. <laughs> <laughs> <Like a> professor, <laughs> Professor done lost his mind. My bad. My bad. The other, the other thing, real quick, is the fact that Les Miles being hired at the University of Kansas, Kansas, you know, for as much as. Again, a school with an unbelievable basketball program has struggled to find its way on the gridiron.
1: Les Miles, good fit. Jeff, what do you think? I would have rather seen Les Miles at Texas Tech, uh, a school that hasn't won since Mike Leach left. Uh, I thought that, you know, he could sit there and do more there. Uh, You know, at Kansas, You know, who knows? They're not going to get, they're not going to battle Oklahoma and Nebraska or anybody in the area for recruits. So, you know, you're picking the the second, you know, the second best, third best guys and uh, good luck. But he is a good coach. So I I don't think he's going to hurt the program, but I don't see him helping it out overwhelmingly
0: yeah he's a coach and a name dan so is that going to be enough
2: no i don't think so i mean he's got the cachet right i mean he's got that but i don't know i'm with you jeff i i just think it's a weird fit of all the programs that he could probably wait maybe another year and and kind of pick and choose and do the. i i don't know if he felt you know that tick tock tick tock in the background i'm running out of time before i become an afterthought or what it was but You know nothing against Kansas, but I just I'm with you. I think there was probably a better program, a better fit for him than Kansas because, like you guys said, you know he's he's getting the the second, third choices in recruiting. You know Kansas will always be a basketball school first. Like the way Kentucky's always a a basketball school first. So I don't I don't see that as being a huge change for Kansas.
0: It really has to be something in the blood because when you think of these guys who get nice jobs on the four letter network or on Fox or whatever the Mm -hmm. case may be as an analyst, when all you have to do is basically what we're doing, sit back and talk about football. And obviously you've got probably more knowledge when it comes to the X's and O's and how things should be devised that you still want to jump back into the recruiting, the stress and everything else that comes a part of coaching more power to him, and and let's see let's see what he can do because we've seen what uh, Stoops has been able to do at Kentucky, which is make at least the football team relevant. And who knows what Les Miles will do at Kansas? Not necessarily that they're going to win a national championship, but if he can make that team relevant with what has taken place on the football side at Kansas, he goes five hundred, a game above five hundred. They'll they'll have parades for Les Miles going right down main street time for us to take a break when we come back last time for the season that we shovel the funk on the football side and we'll do it next this is the college football show right here on 105.7 fm the fan one last time welcome in to the college football show for this season it's time as we noted to shovel the funk. shovel the funk is being brought to you by americana apparel whether you need t shirts for an upcoming event or team jerseys and gear, Americana Apparel has you covered. Owner Jim Van Acker will provide you with unparalleled quality and service for all your custom silk screening and embroidery needs. Check them out at their website, Americana Apparel LLC.com. Once again, that's Americana Apparel LLC.com. Americana Apparel, the official outfitters of the College Football Show. So one last time, gentlemen, let's run around the horn for this season of the College Football Show. Your final shovel, Mr. Orlowski, the floor is yours.
1: Okay, two shovels for me. One goes to you, Don, and you, Dan. Thank you both very much. What a fantastic year this was, and it's always a treat to be on the air with you guys. My second shovel, UCF, the glorious UCF. (laughs) Dominates again, perfect on the season, and finally, they're starting to get some credit. They jump past LSU and Ohio State, now number eight in the playoff rankings. It's about time. It is about time, and you're right. After watching
0: that game Saturday night, thinking that, all right, Louisville, I mean, not the greatest team in the world, but a respectable team, yeah. and the way UCF just kind of ran them right out of the stadium. The UCF has got something to be fussing about, that's for sure. Dan, go, please.
2: Oh, man, I, I'm sorry, guys. I'm going to take the easy out on this one. I, I got to go with Jonathan Taylor, Wisconsin. He. I'm watching that game on Saturday. They're down 27-14, and I tuned out. I just stopped watching. There was no reason to continue watching, and all of a sudden I turn around and, Well, they got another touchdown, and then they got another one. And then he runs for 17 yards for the score, and he runs for, was it 324, 326, around those lines. Just an incredible performance by that guy. So just, um, just, just incredible, and I hope he gets the invite to New York. And, Jeff, the feeling is mutual. So thanks for everything, man.
0: Amen. The first shovel goes over to the Polish bite bomb for everything that he's done. And I know Dan and I agree on our behalf to make this show run as smooth as it done has it done
2: <laughs> well, almost has got it's there gone? We almost Gosh, got it's there. getting late you
0: demand <laughs> yeah. jeffrey we do appreciate you my shovel for this week is going it's a split shovel more of a spade
1: Ooh, going each okay. way how do you like that for oh, for huh, the huh, final episode
0: uw whitewater and saint norbert who each won their first round games in the 2018 version on the road to the stag bowl will now face one another this saturday At Whitewater. Again, make sure you check the website to see the time for that particular start. You got to figure it sometime between 12 and one
1: who are you picking in that
0: one i'm gonna take whitewater dan and i were talking you know it could be a close one but i think whitewater takes care of business and moves on to round three which will be the quarterfinals on the first of december so it, it should be a good contest and for anybody who can't get out there make sure that you go to uh, the uw whitewater website they'll be broadcasting that game live with the music in the background time for us to get up out of here one last time for the pipe bomb, Jeff Orlowski, the professor, Dan Underberg. I'm Don Wachilis. Thank you so much for being a part of our season this year. We switched to college basketball noon to two starting Sunday, December 2nd. It's time to go. Have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy the football, and we'll see you on Sunday, December 2nd at noon to talk some college basketball. Good night, everybody. One last.